0: I'm Alex Milleris, and I'm Tai Seifu, and esteemed associates, I, I expect you're all wondering why we gathered you here today. The cold coffee has begun. Round of applause from everyone in the entire room, both of us, clap, 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 snap, snap, snap. And one nice thing about it is that his first game was a day after an episode we recorded, so now we actually have four glorious Cole Caulfield games well the games themselves weren't glorious all of them but Cole Caulfield's participation in them certainly was and we have four of them to discuss and talk about and yell about how much we love him and how happy we are that he's finally arrived what one first point I will make um when he made his debut on Monday against the Flames there was a, a a little part of me that was a little disappointed that his debut was coming at such a like a gloomy time for the Canadians uh when you know we're on this long drought probably going to make the playoffs but it wasn't you know looking like they were going to be able to do much damage in them not that it is looking like that at this point I was like oh you know kind of maybe would have been more fun if this was like I don't know the start of the season or something that he was making his debut but you know I've definitely come around to it a little bit over the course of the week especially because I find that I know it wasn't only Cole Caulfield, but he was definitely a reason why it seems like this team is kind of they have a little extra pep in their step now that they that they picked up in these last two games in the week. And there's a little bit more buzz surrounding the team than there had been for a while. Yeah, Absolutely. And you know what? I attribute it
1: completely to Cole Caulfield. You know, they, this team just looked old and slow before he showed up. And all of a sudden, it seems like, you know, the fans, but even the players just look a bit more excited. To play hockey and that's you know and it showed and look at that it showed up in the results a very good week three and one you beat the flames in regulation and just like that you've basically clinched a playoff spot right um there was some worry that hey you know maybe this team will somehow do the remarkable and completely blow a massive lead in the standings of these dog shit north division teams but no and like if you look at the playoff odds that Dom decision has they're at like 97 percent now it's looking like, what, they have like an eight-point lead over Calgary. Vancouver's completely fucking falling apart, as they do, losing to the freaking Senators and the Leafs uh, four in a row. So it looks like, you know, with the arrival of Cole Caulfield, it's like the arrival of spring has come. And, you know, the um, have look better off for it. There we go, exactly. A rebirth of sorts. Back to the beginning of the season when they were a good team. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, like, Cole Caulfield... He looks like, you know, you have those a few like, you know, he's trying to find his place in the game, trying to boost his confidence. But by the end of like, like during yesterday's game, especially, you know, as the Habs were pressing near the third period, uh, as they did their little comeback against the Sens, it looked like he really fit in. Seems like he's found his place in the system. And it was only a matter of time before he scored his first goal, which he did in absolutely glorious fashion scoring that overtime winner, getting them a crucial point in the standings, and basically ensuring a playoff spot.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, not only that, I'm pretty sure that was actually the game uh, that the Senators are now officially eliminated from playoff contention, not that they were much <laughs> of a threat to begin with, but that's kind of nice. Uh, so Caulfield started out on a line with uh, Tom sitar and Philip Dano in his first game. Then as Dominic Ducharme, we've quickly learned tends to do, just kind of, you know, uh, change the lines constantly for no apparent reason. Uh which I'm I don't know if I'm entirely opposed to it, but I don't know. Anyway, some stability some some stability from time to time might be nice. Anyway, first is linemates for to Tart- Tataran Dano, then the next game he played with uh, Suzuki and Tofoli. And then what I think is the right place for him for now at least is on the third line. And his line mates on the third line have been Arturi Lekinen and Jake Evans. And in those two games, Cole Caulfield has been dominant in those sheltered minutes. And I think that's the right thing to do when you have, uh, you know, uh, a superstar prospect, uh, even the Maple Leafs did it with, with, uh, Austin Matthews and his rookie year. He started like on the, the third line and he wasn't getting, you know, the, top defenseman to have to go up against right away and he scored like what 40 goals in his rookie year something like that even the devil's still doing it with jack hughes he's playing extremely sheltered minutes and i think that's generally a very good idea when you have a great offensive talent like that you don't want to have them you know go up against whoever tj brody or or thomas shabbat or whoever the other team's top defensive defenseman is uh too quickly eventually of course you'll get to that point but cole caulfield i I saw some of the he had like like an 80 percent shot share or expected goals for or something like that in these past two games uh playing against the second and third pairings. so this is absolutely I think the perfect spot for him in the lineup for now
1: yeah absolutely in terms of development you know especially like you know scoring forwards uh, like Cole Caulfield it's a, it's a process of really like you know finding your game in the NHL but as much as possible you know kind of bringing the skills that you had that brought you there and you know making sure that transition is smooth um, and you see you know a lot of the a lot of you know where when you see you know scoring forwards when they on their development kind of stunts is because maybe they were put into too big of a situation too fast you know they were put on a top line you know facing the best shutdown lines and all of a sudden you can't find your groove and you know as much as we don't talk as much as about you know intangibles and whatnot um, you know the confidence thing i think matters especially in terms of you know a young player and so you know boosting this guy's confidence playing sheltered minutes uh, playing on a fast line with Lekkonen and Evans. I think I think it's a great fit and yeah, I really I think like I think first of all I think he's definitely demonstrated that he absolutely fits on this roster. Uh, and also, you know, I think the roster needs him because we've talked about how the offense has dried up. Uh, and, you know, what they need is a goal scorer like Cole freaking Caulfield on the team. And so I don't know what the deal is with this cap situation and you know what happens when I don't know Gallagher comes back and if Joy comes back. Um, you know, what's the deal there in terms of can they keep him up? But in the meantime, I mean, you have to be playing this guy every night in these sheltered minutes, and it looks like not only in terms of his development, but even just for the whole team, it looks like he can make, like, a real impact right from the get-go.
0: Yeah. Well, Gallagher, we're pretty much 100% sure won't be back before the playoffs start. And in the playoffs, there is no cap. So uh, there wouldn't be any sort of, you know, you don't have to worry about the cap in the playoffs because it doesn't exist, which is why Tampa Bay is going to, you know, bring back Nikita Kucharov, all that stuff that everyone knows about. So I I don't see a way that they take Cole Caulfield uh, out of the lineup, even if every single player is healthy. Because he's clearly one of the best 12. We see he's playing on the third line. He's controlling so much of the play. He gets so many scoring chances. He uh, he had like like three great scoring chances in regulation last night before he scored in overtime, including I think like he had a post. Uh, so so yeah, he's doing great. That goal wasn't just a fluke, which of course I didn't need to tell anyone. Um, one, one interesting thing that's still kind of on the Caulfield topic that I've kind of uh, noticed is like on hockey Twitter, this sort of, subsection of the hockey fandom that that's kind of the polar opposite to the mainstream of just like you know whoever you know just like oh you gotta just people talking on tv being all serious about hockey or whatever and it's this kind of these fans who develop really strong parasocial relationships with like specific players and cheer for players even maybe more so than just a team And I've seen a lot of this about Cole Caulfield, and I mean, I'm kind of—I consider myself to be kind of, you know, a, uh, like, I'm not not going to say like more of a Cole Caulfield fan than a than a Canadiens fan, but like if just for the sake of argument, one day Cole Caulfield ended up playing for some other team, I know for sure that I would be extremely invested in still following him and rooting for him and you know it's not that hard to see why with Cole like even in the you know the short interviews that I've seen with him uh short huh, no pun intended you can tell huh. that he actually has a little bit you know more more spunk and energy to him than most other hockey players like, I saw one he was like I don't know hanging out with I don't know maybe some of his teammates from the U.S. national program and someone they were doing like a fake interview or something and they're asking him like oh what is something something about he asked something about his height and coffee was like, wait, what do you mean I'm short? And he was like, "Haha, you're so funny. And you know, I don't know if if you've heard like his voice, but I was like, man, that is because it's kind of, it's very raspy. And I was thinking like, you know what this reminds me of a, a, a 2013 vine star, like, like Cameron Dallas or something like that. Cole Caulfield could have been TikTok famous for sure. If he weren't such a talented hockey player. So there, there's a little sidetrack for you less than 10 minutes in. <laughs> great i don't even know what to say to that
1: um sure like i'm not familiar with the uh 2013 vine star vibe but i'll take your word for it but uh yeah he just seems like he's just a very you know seems like a like a genuine guy you know seems like he's having fun out there like you know his reaction right after he scored the goal it just looked like he Mm -hmm. was having a blast and just very likable and so yeah we stand Cole Caulfield here on this podcast
0: all right. I think anything else you want to add on call- Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think the fact that he's so small definitely contributes to that as well because like he listed at five foot seven. Um, I think it was Ian Tulloch on Staff and Graph, which is a podcast I've been referencing pretty often here lately. But anyway, who said that he's not five foot seven. He's like probably like five, five and three quarters or something like that. With most of these players, especially the shorter players, they, they jack up the height like an inch or two or they like, I don't. He didn't say that, but I was like, imagine like they measure him like ten days in a row and then pick the tallest one or something ridiculous like that. Uh, but anyway, um, I'm sure we'll talk. We'll circle back to Caulfield at certain other points throughout the episode. But let's continue talking about um, other aspects of the Canadians, including Shea Weber, who was missing the past two days. I want to touch on this. I, I noticed actually, uh, all three members of their their official leadership group—Weber, Gallagher, and Byron—all three were missing the last two games because of injuries. Um, do you actually, you know, let's see if you remember or, or noticed the three players who were wearing a's in their absence.
1: Oh, I, I did not notice at all. So no idea. to guess you want to, you want to clue me in? <laughs> you don't want to no, guess. I don't even want to. I don't even want to. Okay. All right. Let's see. Uh, did they give Joel Edmondson an A? No. Okay, good. Um, who would they give an A on this team? Philip Beno. No. No. Oh my goodness. I'm surprised uh, you didn't get the first
0: one. Because because one of these guys Pichy, wears an right? A con- yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff right, yeah, yeah. he Jeff, wears it okay. yeah. very often because someone's usually injured, but Right. Uh who else? Thomas Tatar? Nope. Remember he was injured too. Okay. So ben that's a pretty bad guess. No, not Ben Sherat. Oh, right okay who Who? okay or er, er, tell me who it is all right it was it was Corey perry and josh anderson were the other two interesting both guys first year here all right yes very true okay uh perry's not that surprising anderson Anyways. Like, huh, all right whatever uh so anyway um the thing that everyone was pointing out is that uh wow, this team sure seems a lot better without Shea Weber here, which is kind of rude, but also I mean hard to argue with. Not only uh, there are two specific things I want to point out, uh, that were better in the absence of Shea Weber. One of them was Ben Sherat. he looked great playing with Alexander Romanov. Of course, the two games is a small sample size, but I think the fact that he has a partner who you know has a little bit more energy to him is definitely a little quicker than Shea Weber. Actually, I would say a lot quicker than Shea Weber. Kind of made Ben Sherratt, I don't know if there's some sort of like a, a mental aspect of that or whatever that it rubs off on him, but he looked like he had a little bit more energy and spunk to him as well. He kind of looked like uh, the, the best version of himself from last year. And you're like, oh, Ben Sherratt's a pleasant surprise. So even when Shea Weber does come back, they're not going to like scratch him or anything, obviously, but I think keeping Sherat And Romanov together for these past two games has brought out the best in both of them and Romanov's done a lot better in those those enhanced minutes with Weber out of the lineup as well uh the other thing that I think so Zencaster just stopped recording on us I was in the middle of talking about Shea Weber and how Ben Chirot has been a lot better without him not sure how much of it it picked up but I think you got the idea and what I was about to say is that the other part of the Canadians that has been much improved in his absence is the power play who could have seen this coming Definitely not all the people who were saying, "Hmm, maybe stop not only putting Shea Weber on the power play, because he's pretty slow, but also stop revolving your entire power play strategy about trying to feed Shea Weber on the top of the circle and have him shoot a puck really fast, but far wide of the net, because it hasn't worked in a very long time. And once Shea Weber's not there, you don't have that option anymore. And all of a sudden, the, the... the offensively creative players that the Canadians do have, the few that they have, such as Jeff Petrie, Nick Suzuki, Tyler Toffoli, and company, uh, get a little bit more freedom to actually try and you know produce some exciting scoring chances. Have a be a little bit more entertaining as a nice bonus, and also score some uh, way more goals than they have been doing, and looking way more dangerous.
1: Yeah, look, it just see it just seems like Shea Weber at this point. We've talked about the decline over and over, but now like this, his it's even more apparent in his absence. It seems. That this guy is an absolute anchor on this team in every possible way, both on the power play, but mostly because he's fucking slow. And you talk about Ben Chirac, and when you have two slow guys like that, whose main characteristics are big and hit, and for Shea Weber takes boomy shot. I mean, I don't, I don't see how there are any possible positive outcomes, and I don't think I don't see why everybody's still surprised that it didn't turn out so well. And when you, you know, you put him with a more skilled guy like you know Romanov, and you, well, I'm talking about Chirac. And bam, you have a beautiful pairing. They work great together. And yeah, just like that, you know, what do you know? When you put two complementary pieces together, they work well. They work better, each of them. They are better than the sum of their parts. And yeah, I think that's what we're seeing from Sherat. Hopefully, the you know, wisens up and realizes, oh shit, this actually works. And keeps it together. Because I don't want to see Charat Weber again. Uh, it just doesn't work, all right? We've tried it for too long. And everybody's been calling for it and it's just, it just doesn't work. And as for the power play, it's just, it's completely, it looks completely revitalized. You know, it looks like it's been given a Cole Caulfield boost of energy, even though he's not even on the power play. Um, because yeah, just designing the whole power play when it's the most predictable in the league for around like a feature that is a not effective at all b boring as hell and and c you know, just not efficient. Um, it's, Like, it made no sense. And to finally see it move off because, you know, the injury seemed to have forced Ducharme's hand. And to see the results that it gave, which was, like, a clearly better, more fluid, you know, with more East-West action and freaking more goals, more success, more grade-A scoring chances. I mean, you have to keep him off the power play now, right? Like, you have to. You would think. It makes no sense. It makes no sense to put Shea Weber back there. (laughs) I mean, this guy contributes nothing. He contributes... No- he's worse than nothing. Because when he shows up, it's not even like he's a... You know, like a traffic cone. It's like he's like a traffic cone that attracts, like, the puck all the time. And, like, no thanks. Uh, so, you know, hopefully this is the last of Shea Weber will ever see on the power play. Uh, his decline has come, as we've said, uh, for a while now. And, you know, it's with that contract... We have to live with it, but we might as well minimize the damage that he does and putting him on the power play and making him the headliner of your power play. Oh, this shot that goes in like 2% of the time and hits the net, maybe like 15% of the time. uh, it's It's just, it's not how power plays work. I don't think it's ever been how power plays have worked in the NHL, but especially now, you know, like in the new age, lateral passes, skill, skill, skill. Shea Weber just doesn't belong and he hasn't belonged in a long time frankly, and I don't know if he ever belonged in that role, like, as a, you know, feature guy, and so, you know, as we move forward, hopefully, we don't see this guy as a power play, and we see his minutes limited more and more, because it becomes more and more apparent, this guy is a complete liability, he stinks, uh, and, you know, it is what it is, but in terms of the contract, and him being on the roster, but, you know, you gotta minimize the damage, because he's doing damage, uh, and, as we see, the Habs are clearly a better team, when he's not on the power play and how I'll even say when he's not on the
0: ice. Wow. Well, all right. Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. And the thing I, I, I was thinking of Ovechkin, because obviously that's the name everyone thinks of. You just have like, you know, uh maybe the best goal scorer of all time. I would say so just at the top of the circle, you know, and even though the other team usually knows it's coming, they still can't stop it. Uh But the thing with that, is that they don't always know it's coming because Washington has so many other skilled players who are great on the power play, who've been there for a long time, like Nicholas Nicholas Backstrom, John Carlson, Evgeny Kuznetsov, uh, whatever other fifth guy you want to throw out there, they have options. And those three other guys... Are all scoring threats too, and if you know if you have three guys standing in front of Ovechkin, uh, he's not—he's probably not going to take the shot. he will just pass off to John Carlson, and then you know I don't know Nicholas Backstrom will have like a wide open lane to score a goal. And with Montreal, it seems like they're not that creative. Uh, it doesn't seem that way when Weber's there. We know they're not that creative because they're looking for Weber. They're like that's where we're going. That's our option, and we don't have another one. And the other team, you know, as you said, it's extremely predictable. Uh, and it clearly doesn't work. And I don't think it ever really did. Because, like, when he was with Nashville, you know, uh, they had a great power play because it was like, oh, yeah, we got Shea Weber, who might shoot, but we also, you know, might just pass it to someone else and have them shoot instead. They had actually a pretty good power play in Nashville for for a while there. Um, but the thing was, So we were talking about, like, you know, the sherratt Romano pairing and how it kind of seems to uh, have revitalized Ben Sherratt. I wonder if... Um, something similar would happen if you put Shea Weber with someone like Romanov, and by someone like Romanov, I mean specifically Romanov, because they don't really have another player that's like him. Um, Would that kind of give Shea Weber a little extra pep in his step? Or is it really just that Chirot and Weber together is just such a terrible match that they bring out the worst in each other? And you put Ben Sherat with him, Ben Chirot is great. And maybe if you put Weber with him, Weber would look better than he has this season.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting hypothesis. I think it's worth a try if we're trying to, you know, salvage value from Shea Weber. Um, but you know, really the problem is you really don't have. The problem is, you need multiple guys that are like Alex Romanov and not like seven dudes who are like Ben Sharat. That's the whole problem with this fucking defense. Um, and so, you know, where there's only one Alex Romanov to go around, that's the fucking problem. You know, you put him with Shane Weber, now you're probably putting like fucking Eric Gustafson with Ben Sharat, and that cannot possibly end up well. Uh, so, you know, we're talking about Victor Bete. Uh, we keep talking about Victor Bete, and like he. He's one of those guys, punk moving, that they don't have. Berge hates. And that that's what this is what you end up with. A completely one-dimensional form of defensemen that don't even play well with each other. Because that's not how these defensemen work. You know, you can't have two of them together on the same at the same time on the ice. They just don't work. And they're too slow. Uh, and so, you know, one of them maybe is forgivable, but like two of them, the, the problem is they just have so many that it's mathematically impossible to not have two of these guys, these slow ass, you know traffic cones out there at the same time if you have to because just you don't have enough guys who can fucking move the puck we can actually skate and so you know you could talk about uh yeah sure maybe maybe you know Weber performs better with Romanov next to him but then what the fuck are you doing with Ben Chirot afterwards he's gonna suck he's gonna be put with some scrub all right unless you know okay well maybe Brett Kulak's a bit better but like other than that that's the problem here you know there just aren't enough puck moving guys and you even had a puck moving guy who happened to be 22 years old on your roster and you gave him away for free and that's what's so stupid about this, because it just seems like they're only digging themselves deeper in this slow ass big hit man uh, who they don't work well together when you have two of them on the ice like that.
0: You know, I think, um, well, you're you're onto something a little bit. But if we're, if we're going to try to like predict some kind of like realistic uh, what the defense pairings may be come play out of time if everyone's healthy. Joel Edmondson's is not coming out of the lineup. Uh, he'll probably stick with Jeff Petrie. On what I think of as the top pair simply because Jeff Petrie is there. And then you might say you put Weber with Romanov, and then all of a sudden, Ben Sherat is on your bottom pair. When he's with Weber, he gets top pair minutes, and that's a big part of the reason why uh, he looks bad. Ben Sherat, put him with anybody on the bottom pair, I think he'll be absolutely fine. Whether that is Brett Kulak or John Merrill, I'd prefer Brett Kulak for sure. It's definitely not Eric Gustafson because he sucks. Uh, but I think that. Those pairings are probably what we can think of as being, you know, a somewhat realistic and not that bad. If I actually had to guess what Dominic Jashan would do, it's put Sherrod and Weber back together and Edmonton and Petrie as well. Keep them together. And then you probably end up with like John Merrill and Romanov and then Brett Kulak out of the lineup again for, for some, some reason that I can't even start to comprehend. But But we're just spitballing here. Yeah. The problem is, it's like, with every pairing,
1: it seems like you're anchoring a good player, a puck-moving player, with an absolute liability. That's what so it seems like when, when you're like building, like, oh, what can we do in terms of ideal lines? All right, so we have Romanov. Let's stick him with a liability, Weber. We have Petrie. Let's stick him with a liability, Edmonton. We have Kulak. All right, sure, we'll stick Ben Chiron up there. Uh, you know, it's just too many of these guys stink. And it seems that the coaching staff doesn't even know that they stink. Because we're talking about Brett Kulak who's one of the better third-pairing defensemen you could have out there, you know, Uh, in terms of, yeah. And for some reason, they don't want to play him enough. I don't understand why, because he's shown when he does play that he plays well, and he's able to move the puck, and, you know, he makes the odd mistake, but it's better than being slow as fuck out there and looking like you're moving through quicksand, which, you know, the other guys do. Like, we're talking about, like, why is Eric Gustafson getting playing minutes? I don't understand, all right? It's one thing to get like, oh, defensive insurance at the trade deadline. I was not aware that this guy was going to be a regular or even just a rotational piece, hell, because he stinks. He's completely washed. Um, and it's, it's the same with these trade deadline acqu- acquisitions. You know, like we talked about Eric Stahl last week. He's washed. Uh, he stinks. And it, hard, he's, I don't think he's an NHL player anymore. He should be a taxi squad guy. And yet he's getting time over Jake Evans, who only makes it into the lineup. Because you have a whole bunch of injuries. And, you know, Jake Evans out there looked fantastic, especially with Caulfield. I mean, he was absolutely buzzing, drawing penalties left and right. It was wonderful. And you're telling me you don't want to put that in the lineup over fucking old-ass Eric Stahl? Uh, it just completely baffling. I don't understand a lot of this player evaluation, it seems, uh, when it comes to, like, deciding how to, like, you know, decide who's playing on the lineups and, and all that. It seems very baffling. It seems there's too much of an attachment to these old, slow dudes that I just frankly don't understand. And they're dragging the team down.
0: But Eric Gustafson, um, I don't think we're going to see him in the lineup again unless there are a couple injuries. Uh, He was given a chance... They said, let's see what you can do, Eric. And he said, what I can do is be a nightmare defensively, a total liability. Uh, And they said, all right, thanks for letting us know. You are now number eight on our depth chart for the foreseeable future. Uh, And with the the forwards, how that's shaping up, I agree with you. Um, Let's talk about that a little bit, because, of course, there was the news this week about Jonathan Drouin, who will be taking a leave of absence. We don't know why. I just want to give the opposite of a shout out. To all those those shitty reporters who just kept on pestering Dominique Ducharme, and I think Philip Dano as well, trying to figure out uh what was going on with Jonathan Druan. They were like, We're not gonna tell you. Stop asking us. Uh, so that's a total dick thing to do. Uh just you know, ask about something else. There's is, is your team that cool cough for this minute's debut, you're in the middle of a playoff push, you can find something else to ask about besides trying to gossip about a player's personal life. Anyway, moving on from that. We don't know when Drouin is going to be back in the lineup. Assuming he is not here for game one of the playoffs and also Brennan Gallagher probably also unlikely to be ready to go for game one of the playoffs maybe later in the first round um we're probably looking at a lineup that more or less looks like what we saw last night except Tatar and Byron will probably both be back who comes out of the lineup Michael Frolik, I think is one of them I think the smart pick for the other would be Eric Stahl because he has honestly like like Corey Perry has been a, a very pleasant surprise this season he's of course not as fast as he once was but you can tell that he still has like you know uh, some elite offensive tools great hands around the net and uh, uh, like a great scoring sense Eric Stahl for whatever reason I don't know why because he was never really the fastest player to begin with uh, but it, it, it feels like everything that made him special early, early in his career is just it's just gone. It's just disappeared. And I don't know why. It kind of, We kind of thought this was the case like four years ago when he was traded to the Rangers for nothing at the deadline from Carolina. And then he discovered his step again in Minnesota. Maybe there's like a third wind coming after this, but it's definitely not here right now. Eric Stahl is not one of the best 12 forwards on the team. And so I personally don't think he should be in the playoff lineup. No, absolutely not. And right now the fourth line is what? For Lake Stahl and
1: Perry. That is, that is a very, very old fourth line. I think the youngest is 33 years old. And so, yep. you know, presumably you take two of these dudes out. For has always been the taxi squad guy, unfortunately uh, fortunately for him. And yeah, Eric Stahl, it just like you compare with who else you, who else are you taking out of the lineup, right? Like, you know, Corey Perry, no, he's been he's been great. Well, you know, great relatively speaking in terms of what he He's supposed to bring what his role is. He's been great in that role basically all season, you know, chipping in the occasional goal. Uh, and so, yeah, it, like, especially compared to Eric Stahl, there's no fucking contest. And, well, you're going to take one of the young, speedy guys out of the lineup to keep fucking Eric Stahl in the lineup so every night he can just, you know, trudge around looking like he's 36? Um, It just doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, at this point, you know, Tatar and Byron when they come back, it's just you, you got to yank he and Stahl out of there uh, because – yeah, they're the two worst players, frankly speaking. You know, there's no real other way to put it. Um, I don't think there's anything special about their chemistry on the fourth line uh, like that. So, you know, it's just, yeah. And logically speaking, you know, for a leak, stall, get the hell out of there. Let's keep Jev- Jake Evans in there. I mean, the performance speaks for itself, right? And like, if, you, if you're if you comparing like how they do, they play on the ice, there's no way you could possibly justify setting down Jake Evans. Um, so, or Cole Coffee. If they take Jake matter. Evans out so, of the lineup
0: again, I might go crazy. Um, that would just, there's p- no possible defense for that, but I honestly, you could, I, I, I would believe it if you told me Dominic Ducharme would rather take out like Arturi Lekkanen than Eric Stahl, just cause you know, old reliable veteran leadership, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but of course neither one of us agrees with that. Um, let's slide over unless you have anything else to say uh, about. Uh, what what was the next thing? Oh yeah, Andrew Shaw, uh, retired earlier this week. Former Montreal Canadian, of course. It really sucks to see someone have to you know retire early due to concussion problems. Of course, um, but here I think oh uh, who was it? Someone pointed out something interesting that was like man, it really kind of makes you think about mostly probably like ten years ago or a lot longer. How many players would be going through something similar to this? and decide to keep playing. And it's probably a lot, especially because Andrew Shaw in his statement has said something like, oh yeah, all the doctors recommended that I retire and I'm going to concede. He didn't use the word concede, but that was kind of the vibe of it. was like, I'm going to finally you know, give in and listen to them and retire. So you think of, if, if it's kind of unusual, if a player thinks it's unusual for them to be like, yeah, I'll listen to the doctors and retire so I don't expose myself to further brain injuries, how often is it, even probably still these days, the doctors are telling players it's really best for your health if you retire and then they decide to to not listen to them?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, it's a whole widespread hockey problem, right? This whole brain injury thing from, you know, the player the culture within the players who, you know, they wanna they just wanna keep playing, and also the league who doesn't wanna seem to acknowledge like concussions, the effect of concussions, CTE and all that. Um, so yeah, I like, it's not, it doesn't create an environment that's conducive to these kind of players, uh, who have concu- like con- histories of concussions to like step away from the game, you know, because of the pressure that's put on to, you know, keep playing. And that's what they've been told all their lives, right. Uh, to tough it out and all that. And so, you know, it's, it's, you know, it, you definitely like, it's, you, you sympathize with Andrew Shaw. He's only 29 mm-hmm. clearly want to keep playing. But, you know, good for him for, like, even yep. if he really doesn't want to, like, for, for actually, you know, taking the step of stepping away. Obviously, it's a horrible circumstance. You know, we're talking about, like, multiple brain injuries here. But, um, you know, I'll even venture to say it's a pretty courageous move on his part because I'm sure he felt the pressure from people around him and just from the general culture um, to keep playing because that's what the reality is here, um, is that hockey just doesn't take these head injuries serious enough. And so, you know, just the fact that this kind of thing is surprising is an indictment, I think, because, yeah, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of guys who, uh, A, have, you know, a history of reported concussions or even, you know, just a history of unreported concussions. Right. So, yeah. Uh, So in that sense, you know, I'm glad Andrew Shaw didn't continue playing, uh, you know, ignored his doctors and then, you know, potentially sustained even, you know, more brain injuries, which would have, you know, damaged his future basically right so yeah
0: there's that Mm -hmm. another player announced that he will be retiring at the end of the season and that's anaheim ducks goaltender ryan miller who i assume many people forgot was not only still playing but also on the anaheim ducks uh he's pretty much been the third string goalie there this year behind john gibson and anthony stolars uh but he he, of course we i think i feel like like the his real prime was like coming to an end right as I started becoming a hockey fan, which was like nine years ago, nine to ten years ago, to give you a perspective of uh, how long Ryan Miller's been around. Because of course he like won a Vesna Trophy in two thousand nine. I'm pretty sure that was the year, or two thousand ten maybe. He won Olympic MVP. That's pretty ridiculous. Uh, and people, of course, when a player of this this caliber announces their retirement, the debate arises whether or not they should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. What do you think about this?
1: Do I think Ryan Miller deserves to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame? Hmm. I don't know. Like, uh, that's an interesting question. Because, yeah, he has kind of, you know, faded from the 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 hockey consciousness over the last few years. Um, you know, his little stint with the Anaheim Ducks. He, he's barely playing anything. Uh, and... Like okay, so I'm looking through his stats right now, his career. So he started in 2002, and it seems that basically his entire career, especially during his prime, this guy didn't this guy didn't dip below 915. Uh, just a consistent, you know, nine nine eleven. Well, okay, nine nine eighteen started from 2008, nine twenty nine, 9.16. But you know, did he win a? He did win a Vesna. He said right. Yeah. Okay, so one Vezina... An Olympic silver medal, a history of, like, you know, of playing very well for a team, the Buffalo Sabres, who didn't really know much success. Ah, you know, if you go by the criteria, like, what, what's his Hall of Fame
0: case, though? You know, like, is it the consistency? Well, first of all, the hardware definitely comes into play. The Vesna, and not just the Olympic silver medal, he was the MVP of the Vancouver Olympics. That's a big deal, especially because, you know, Olympics only come up uh, once every four years, and maybe not, not even that, because obviously NHLers didn't go in uh, in 2018, so he's, you know, one of a very select few players who can say they've been Olympic MVP. I don't even remember who won it in, uh, in 2014 in Sochi, actually. Um, but anyway, those two pieces of hardware, I think, will carry a lot of weight. And, you know, so whenever I hear someone say, I don't think you're this type of person, I say, but anyone who's like, oh, you know, I'd keep the hall small, you know, only the best of the best. I'm like, oh, can't you just shut up? Like, seriously, why does the hall need to be small? Like, you know, let people in. But there were so many amazing athletes. And even just hockey, There are, of course there are so many great hockey players in the entire world throughout history. Let's celebrate as many of them as possible. And I know wherever you want to have your cutoff, it's a small, medium, big, whatever. Mine would be, uh, I would let in probably a little bit more than actually probably a lot more than the average fan would want into the Hall of Fame. Wherever you put your cutoff, there are going to be people on the bubble who you have to say no to. Uh, I am pretty sure Ryan Miller would be inside my bubble. Not only because of those you know, two accomplishments, uh, but because I think you have to take into account the fact that he was pretty much the face of the Sabres franchise for a long stretch of time. Uh, and that stretch of time was also a pretty successful uh, stretch, at least by the Sabres standards. I think they won a President's Trophy, maybe even more than one. Uh, they finished near the top of the regular season standing several times. I think they made like a couple playoff runs uh and ryan miller was really at the forefront of that and i think that when a player is you know plays at an elite level for an extended period of time and also had a really big impact uh in like the sports culture in the city they were playing in, i think you really need to take that into account uh when they're making the case so i would put ryan miller in the hall of fame
1: okay all right yeah i'm not one to advocate for a small hall Frankly, I don't care too much who makes it into the Hall of Fame. So it's like you want to, you know, like I'm not going to raise a tantrum about anybody getting in or frankly, really anybody getting left out. Um, but yeah, you know, like, first of all, the whole Olympic thing like that is the world's fucking smallest sample size. But, you know, like, like you, what? 2010, you win the you win the freaking MVP with playing like what? Six games. Um, but whatever. It's a big event. You know what? Of course I, I don't think I don't think
0: that's a, what's that? I said it's a big event. It's the Olympics. I, of course, that's good. I know it's a small sample, but we're not we're not necessarily only judging like how good they were, even though that's a big part of it. But like you know, winning an Olympic MVP, it's a Hall of Fame. You know, that's like a fame worthy achievement to win Olympics MVP. You know, so just if, you, know, you can't be like oh yeah, but small sample size. Like it's the Olympic sample size. So so there.
1: All right, fair enough. But
0: you know what? I don't. I put. I don't put too much stock into that. But I'll.
1: I'll. I'll give you the the, the whole like you know. If, if face of the franchise for so long. And yeah, sure. I'll I'll give it to you. Uh and that's probably his case, I think. Like the impact he had on Buffalo as the franchise face for so long. But then again, you see guys like, you know, like freaking Daniel Alfredson, like people look, I would put out Daniel Alfredson in the Hall of Fame. Why the hell not? It's called the Hall of Fame, as he said. So I mean he was pretty famous, so why the hell not? Mm-hmm. Um yeah. so but yeah. I think I think like by by other people's metrics, I don't I don't know if he makes it in. Um, you know, I think he's, I would, I would. if I were to venture a guess right now, I would say he doesn't make it in. Um, but personally, I'd be sure, why the hell not? Um, I don't have any objections to it. Uh, but, you know, if I were to venture a guess based on, you know, what other people think, I would say he just misses the cut. Because, you know, one Vezina, an Olympic MVP, I don't know if it cuts it for some people, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I understand. I wasn't necessarily making a guess as much as I was making the case for him. Uh, but now I'm, lo- I'm looking through all of the uh, Olympic MVPs for the men's hockey tournaments since NHL players started going in 1998. Uh, we had Timu Solani win it in 1998. Four years later, it was Joe Sakik. In 2006, it was Antero Nidimaki. Uh, I think that's a goalie for Team Finland. Uh, 2010, Ryan Miller. And 2014, it was Timu Solani again. Uh, so <laughs> there, those are... Those are your four. Oh, and then it was Ilya Kovalchuk in 2018 when NHLers uh, couldn't go. And of course, in 2022, it'll be Cole Caulfield, despite the fact that Team USA will disappoint and not medal. Anyway, um, what can we talk about next? Uh, Well, there was that secondary TV deal in the US, which will impact our day-to-day lives very little, but it's a big deal for the NHL. Uh, If only because of uh, that Andrew Ferentz graphic, I think that was just on Twitter. Maybe it was on other pla- uh, places. For anyone who didn't see, uh, TNT within like what a day of getting the secondary broadcasting rights for the NHL for the next however many years, kind of made a fool out of themselves because probably some sort of graphic design intern made this graphic with oh you know two big stars at the forefront of Lee, the captain of the Wash of the Washington Capitals. Alex Ovechkin and the captain of the Edmonton Oilers, Andrew Ference, And they were like, Oh yeah, look, we got the NHL. There was like something else, unlike some sort of other caption too, but it was like Andrew Ference, marketable superstar, uh, which I think just speaks to the fact uh, of, of how unpopular hockey is in, um, in the United States that even this, Network who just bought the rights and this 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 is like this isn't some some nobody off the streets who might not even be a sports fan. This is someone who's interning at like a, a sports network, is doesn't even know what Conor McDavid looks like. uh Not only that, they didn't even think like hmm to to check whether or not this could possibly be the wrong guy. It's really shocking. Yeah, but then again, is it because like
1: you know? Well, okay, it's not like. You, you 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 think about it and how you know vastly unpopular hockey is in the United States in particular, and then you know you think about it and you're like you know these faces nobody if you're not a hockey fan you don't know who the fuck Connor McDavid is you don't even know what his face is you know there's all just a bunch of white dudes so you know I don't think it's that shocking you know like some guy typed in Oilers oh, captain on Google pulled out the first result and there we go and. Like yeah, the funny part is they they did It wasn't even all, just on Twitter. They put that fucking promo on TV on the NBA postgame show, <laughs> and so that thing made it to live air, which is incredible. But yeah, you know, like yeah, it's all part of the hockey marketing problem. You know, like you put a fucking picture of like uh, LeBron James or something, except you don't put LeBron James. You say it's LeBron James, and then you put somebody else's face. Everybody will know. Like like your random dude off the street has a solid chance of being like wait a fucking second that's not lebron james but like you know especially in the u.s you put a picture of like fucking Connor mcdavid um and it's just that the marketing isn't there the the brand recognition is not there at all i mean like you're talking about like uh like what they had like Shaq, you know because he's a tnt uh personality yeah, yeah i like, yeah. try to name like five NHL teams and, like, he couldn't or some shit like that where he barely no. could. And, like, you know,
0: it's well, – But, yeah? Uh, I'll just talk about that clip for, like, a minute and then you can finish your point. Okay. All there right. So, anyways. Shaq, yeah. like, can, can you name three NHL teams? And he was, like, uh, New Jersey Devils, uh, California Kings. Oh, no, no, LA Kings. Uh, And then the last one, he was, like, Chicago, uh, not Bruins, Blackhawks. And they were, like, yeah, you did it. And I think what a lot of people weren't really pointing out about that clip was that clip was the entire time he just sounded like, can we move on from this boring ice hockey shit, please? And get back to whatever we were talking about before. He was like, do I really have to do this?
1: Yeah, that's true. And yeah, it just goes to show like uh, even the sports people, I understand he doesn't cover hockey. But like even the sports people have no idea in terms of like uh, what the hell is going on in terms of the NHL. Can't name a team. Uh, so, yeah, it really gives you perspective in terms of hockey in the broader culture uh, and its place in the broader culture, which is uh, a, basically an ant in a, in a giant field. Uh, and so, yeah, but you know what? Good for the NHL in terms of securing that Turner deal, um, you know, seven years. And hopefully what they, they give like three Stanley Cups in the next seven years to I think it's on MB, uh, ABC. And so, you know, hopefully you get some more visibility. You promote it during the basketball games or something. Uh, and maybe, you know, you get some growth in the sport if you get some new eyes on the thing, because, you know, NBC just completely fucking, they were so lazy by the end of it. Like 10 year there was no push to innovate whatsoever to improve the quality of the product. So yeah, so fresh faces don't, I think it's a good thing. And, uh, well, the NHL is also pulling in more money.
0: Yeah, a lot of people are talking, like, you know, being excited about these, these you know, uh, sports broadcasts and these exciting people like Stephen A. Smith. Uh, oh, they're going to be talking about hockey. It'll be so great for the NHL. Uh, a small part of me now thinks, hmm, how much of this is just going to be these people uh, such as, I don't know, Stephen A. Smith, maybe not Shaquille O'Neal, but these other people who, who are, you know, very well versed in sports like football, basketball, even maybe baseball. Talking about oh, wow, we don't really know much about hockey. Isn't that funny? And you know, not actually, you know, being exciting about hockey or excited about hockey. But I don't know if that's just just a, a speculation or whatever.
1: Yeah, but like you know, it's I don't think like showing up on TNT is about like or ESPN for that matter is about you know getting fucking Stephen A. Smith to talk about hockey, right? It's more about I think it's more about like first of all, you can get the ads um like to a broader audience. But also, you know, like you just get more eyes and hopefully mm-hmm. you get new people on like innovating, finding a better, pro- like a broadcasting product more than, you know, oh, Stephen A's talking about, you know, NHL on first take. Like, I don't think that plays as much a role, you know, like, you know, you see the occasional funny bit that we talked about the other, the other week, right. Um, with Stephen A, but like. I don't, you know, I don't expect that to be one of the main attractions. In fact, I don't expect Stephen A to talk about hockey much at all. Um, for me, the, the main positive points from these kind of new deals is, first of all, thank God we're getting away from NBC who didn't know how to handle this thing. But also, you know, we're talking about, especially with ESPN, like a, just a broader audience and just dividing it into two packages with T- Turner and uh, ESPN, I think is a good thing in terms of reaching more people compared to NBC where you had one network, you had all on one network who didn't
0: really care. Mm-hmm. Alright, I have a question for you. Um, what would you say are the odds that Pierre Maguire is between the benches uh on ESPN?
1: Oh uh, boy. You know what, I'm gonna say like thirty percent because he's so incredibly incompetent. But I could see some like you know some guy on ESPN or or does it count if he's on T N T on the T N T broadcast? Yeah, count both of them. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I can I can imagine somebody there being like, "Huh, what did NBC do?" All right, let's take some of that, and then they just you know Pierre Maguire's part of that sweep. Um,
0: so thirty percent is my number. All right. You know what's interesting about between the benches, uh, all of the halves games this year I watch on either TSN or Sportsnet. TSN usually it's Mike Johnson between the benches, and I think him and Ray Ferraro are like the gold standard for the best between the benches uh, color commentary. I think that's what it's called. Uh, people in hockey, Mike Johnson, almost every, every single game, actually he'll say something that's interesting. And I'm like, wow, I actually feel like I learned something new and you say it in a, in a way that's fun to listen to. Like he was, for example, um, I don't remember, I think it was, yeah, it was Monday against Calgary. Uh, and, and he was talking about, oh yeah, you, you crunch the numbers and it comes up that if you got if you're defending like a one goal lead with more than 45 seconds left in the game, it makes sense to gun for the empty net uh, because you know if you score, you wrap up the game and if it's an icing, uh, well, then you know it's not much of a difference anyway. And then Ben Sherat went for the empty net all the way from his own zone with like 16 seconds left and he missed they're like see yeah that's when that's probably not a good idea because you can just flip the puck out to center ice and probably that takes like 10 seconds off the clock you're much closer to victory and now instead uh you know you got this face off in your end i'm like that's so true mike johnson i never really thought about it that way before and then on Sportsnet, it's gary galley all the time man he <laughs> sucks we were talking i'm we- making fun i really noticed this like near the beginning of the year when he called to foley michael Ryder, like multiple times during the game. <laughs> because they both were number 73 and Michael Ryder has literally not been in the NHL since 2015 with the New Jersey devils uh, He was with the Canadians for like half a year in 2013. And then like three or three or so years before that, I don't know how you could possibly mix that up in your head. And he, he constantly, he just like, he says these things that like, ah, I he was, he was something about like, um, to, cause I think to was more or less, standing where Shea Weber usually stood on the power play at certain points yesterday. And I think actually he's, he scored from like around there, the tie in goal yesterday. And he was like, Oh, they usually had Shea Weber there, but to has got more goals than Shea Weber. And then he started laughing at his own joke. And I was like, this is, that's what I, like, what you what could I possibly provide to this broadcast. And it's just like on a cost of basis, Gary Galley's just saying these things that I'm like, that added nothing. And, uh, it makes me feel like, wow, maybe I would rather be like watching it on like sportsurge.net or some other illegal stream than have to listen to, to Gary Galley every single game. and pointing out like, wow, that was a pretty idiotic thing that he just said. But...
1: Yeah, Rant you got to wonder, is there any sort of like talent evaluation? What the hell is going on in these offices? Is nobody watching the games that works for sports that like one of the top brass? Because Jesus Christ, he adds nothing, as you said. And like, do they not care? I don't understand. Do they just want to, like, hire their friends and, like, someone's good buzz with Gary Galley so now he finds himself on the benches every so often spouting his own nonsense about whatever the fuck and laughing at his own jokes? Like, it just, <laughs> who's running this thing? Like, who? who's like, yeah, this is the guy for the job. Like, was he even interviewed? That's what I want to know. Was he even interviewed for this job? Um, honestly, he might not have been. Uh, did they? Did they, you know, do any sort of test run? Like, okay, Gary, let's simulate what you're like. Or, like, you know, okay, you do one game, and we'll see how you do based on then. Uh, And, like, they clearly didn't do that. Because, like, holy shit. uh, (laughs) I don't understand. Like, is there no sense of accountability? Because it's not even, it's like, it's so public. His performance is so public. You judge based on how fucking entertaining this guy is during the game. And he, he brings no value. He brings no fucking value. So, yeah, that just makes me scratch my head a little bit. Like... Who is evaluating the talent here at Sportsnet? Like, you know, like,
0: what? What? Yeah, I, I, I feel like, I, well, actually, I don't really know what Gary Gelly's background is. But guys like Mike Johnson and Ray Ferraro, I feel like um, those between-the-bench guys, the fact that they have been an NHL player before... Helps a lot in their analysis and really provides some valuable insight. I'd love to see uh, how Kevin Bieksa does in that role because uh, he's been a great broadcasting revelation for Sportsnet. He's always on like the intermission shows, the pregame show. He says valuable things. Uh, I I think that that's definitely worth a try, Sportsnet. If you're listening, if of course if Kevin Bieksa wants to, uh, let him try out that between the benches because I mean I don't imagine it could be anywhere than Gary Galley. So
1: yeah, Gary Galley, I just looked it up real quick. Wikipedia. This guy was uh. Defense, he played over 1100 games in the NHL. Um, Wow, crazy as it is. I would have guessed, you know, just because, yeah, exactly. Like, just because you're a former NHL player and you have some, you know, I guess he did some small broadcasting gigs and he eventually moved his way up to Sportsnet. But, like, that doesn't mean that you should be getting this kind of job, you know? Like, yeah, uh, you, you, like, it's a good source of, you know, a good source of potential talent. Like, okay, let's see, you know, who's played the game. Uh, Maybe they have some smart insights. And, yeah, and you find yourself with some gems like Kevin Bieksa. But, like, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't fucking work, you know? Like, you know, you keep this whole charade up. And, Christ, this Gary Galley does not work. And so, like, you know, like, okay, he has hockey experience. But what about the fact that he literally doesn't seem like he brings any of it at all to his job? <laughs> um, seems like we should get someone new in there. I don't know. Like, yeah. you might as well just throw in some bum. If you have someone, like, some bum off the street. If, you, if you're going to have, like, a guy who sounds who is so incompetent as Gary Galli. Like, who cares if he played 1,100 games if he doesn't bring
0: it to the job? Oh, man. Yeah. But I I got to imagine, though, that's a really hard job because you have to come up with something insightful to say after, like, every single play. And I imagine that there's not something insightful. You can say that's directly related to every single play. And especially if you don't want to sound like you're repeating yourself constantly. So a ton of respect to Mike Johnson and Ray Ferraro, because that seems like an extremely difficult job. Like even us, like we have an entire week to like collect our thoughts about what we want to say. And we still often like mumble over our words or like repeat ourselves or talk in circles, kind of like I'm doing right now. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, what was I going to say? What was I going to say? Wow. That's really poor timing. <laughs> wow. I started thinking about the times that I sometimes forget what I'm going to say and, I, and the prophecy came true and I forgot what I'm going to say. And I think that just goes to show how great Mike Johnson and Ray Ferraro are at, at coming up with saying insightful things uh, on a moment's notice on live TV. Whereas I could just edit that out after if I wanted to, but I won't.
1: Yeah. So like, you know, not saying the job is easy, but if you're fucking bad at the hard job, just get the fuck out of there. Gary Um, Galley, you know, like, Christ, why can't they just try some new people out? I don't understand. Like, you know, I understand, oh, you want to create a sense of familiarity, but I don't want to be familiar with garbage, all right? Like, come on. I don't Um, want to be familiar with garbage. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So just, uh, I don't see it happening anytime soon, but we might as well, you know, get it out there and maybe we could make something happen, you know, not wishing Gary Galley unemployment or anything, just like,
0: you know, not between the benches, just find a different role for him for crying out loud. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, let's slide over to, uh, to some happier news, uh, on the back of some upsetting news from, I think a week ago when it looks like the women's world championships are going to be canceled. Uh, and apparently probably due almost entirely to public pressure. They're back on, not at the same time or in the same place. Uh, but they're going to be taking place this August, uh, 20th to 31st, I believe are the, the dates, the tentative dates, at least, uh, they don't have a place yet, but apparently they're committed to making it happen, so good on the IIHF for uh for writing this wrong and allowing these players to to play in their world championship.
1: Yeah, good for them. Hopefully it works out. You know, it seems that what it's three months away. They don't even know where the fuck this thing's gonna happen. But you know, they they seems they seem committed, so that's a good thing. And you know, keep track. You know, August 20th to thirty first, if that happens to be the dates, I think it's a good time for uh you know if if you want to showcase this thing. Uh, because in the hockey world, there's really like almost nothing going on in August. Right. So mm-hmm. in terms of like, OK, people are starting for hockey content. What can we give them a Women's World Championship? I think that's a good timing for that. Um, just because there's like nothing in the hockey world that's going on at the same time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't really thought of that, actually. Um, maybe they could. I, they probably wouldn't do that every year. I think they like to generally have the Men's World Championship and the Women's World Championship around the same time in like May, which speaking of the men's world championships, not to switch off it too fast, but like usually a bunch of NHL players who aren't in the playoffs end up going. One of those happening this year and who's playing in them. I don't know. Anyway, not really that. I, thought I heard
1: Gerard Gallant is the coach. No.
0: Oh yeah. yeah I did see I thought... that. Uh, yeah. well he currently is unemployed, so they couldn't leech, uh, some NHL. Imagine an NHL coach, it was like, yeah, I'm leaving my team for like the end of the regular season to go coach the world championships.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So where are where, when
1: is this thing happening? So is it May twenty first to June the sixth? Um All right. It seems in terms of rosters, I don't see
0: anything. Okay. Well mm-hmm. whatever. No one I guess or, we'll no one cares about later. that tournament in a normal year. So if it's gonna be exactly. like a bunch of college players and junior players, then I think probably even less so uh anyway before we get yeah. to our uh trivia let's acknowledge uh Jake fortannin uh I assume everyone would have heard at this point but basically uh Jake tannin is now a confirmed man I was about to say scumbag that word isn't even enough so basically here here's what happened um someone came forward with allegations that uh I'm, I'm still I'm not sure exactly when this happened but basically Jake forannin, uh, invited this girl into his hotel room and basically pestered her repeatedly over and over and over for sex. And she said several times, no, I don't want to have sex. And eventually after many, 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 many pesterings, and after she even got close to leaving the room altogether, uh, he ended up, or sorry, she ended up giving in. And so this is rape. And, I don't use that word lightly, for sure, but she didn't say yes, and he had sex with her anyway, and that's what rape is, so Jake Furtanen absolutely sucks, the Canucks placed him on leave, Um, and if you're thinking, because uh, I know some people still do think this way, innocent until proven guilty in this case, uh, you should probably reconsider your, your line of thinking if you'd rather be caught sympathizing with someone who turns out to be a liar which by the way statistically like less than one percent of the time is what happens rather than you know taking the side of the guy who's almost definitely a rapist um so man jake for i hope he never sees ice in the nhl again uh and to be honest i don't think he will um even we we saw with, with Brennan Leipzig. I don't I think that was like about a year ago or almost a year ago. Uh, and that was just him being a dick in like a group text. All right. That's pretty much nothing compared to this. And he was, uh, pretty much banished from the NHL immediately. Uh, so I imagine that Jake for won't see NHL ice ever again. And good riddance.
1: Yeah. There's no defending this. Hopefully we don't see him ever again. Yeah. It, it does bring into question a lot of, uh, hockey culture yet again, you know, like, uh, it seems like we we hear, you know, not to this degree, um, but it does seem that there is a a sort of an attitude among especially these younger hockey players, like, you know, almost an air of invincibility. Um, and I think a lot of it stems from the fact that they are very privileged, uh, being, you know, white and predominantly affluent uh, if you're, you know, pursuing hockey right at, at that point. Uh, and... Like the fact that it, you know, it hasn't been really, it hasn't come up. It like it's kind of stayed hidden for so long. It is, it is quite bothersome, you know. And but yeah, it, with this particular case, you know, you don't want to see him at all, anywhere near uh, the NHL, frankly, anywhere near professional hockey in general. Um, I'm sure, you know, given the way hockey is, some scumbag team will give him a shot, maybe in Europe or some shit like that. Um, but yeah, there's no excusing this. This is clearly, you know, sexual assault, rape, uh, and yeah. Uh it's it's disgusting. And don't want to hear his name again. This uh yeah, there's there's like all this like oh what if, what if, what all that, uh when it comes to oh what if it's not true and all that it's just it's all bullshit. Um just yeah. Let's just hopefully can just chuck this guy into the ocean.
0: And uh yep, just mm, yikes. Alright. Uh a couple other uh small things actually before we do trivia. One of them, I thought I'd shout out that today is the ninth anniversary of Mark Bergerman being hired by the Montreal Canadiens. Nine years. You know, if he stays on this job for another like 16 months, he will have been in charge of this team for more than half of my entire life. My <laughs> like my entire existence will have been mostly filled with with mark bergevin being GM of the canadians if it's just like let not even a, another year and a half all right that's too much i'm gonna call for him to get fired again but i thought i'd shout out that anniversary very miserable
1: one it seems um but yeah crazy like he he's one of them like where is he in terms of ranking for longest tenor gms he's I up he's there top now five. right like Jesus Christ. It's, it's baffling because like, what the fuck has he done for us? <laughs> he hasn't brought us any sort of prolonged playoff success or building a juggernaut. Uh, he just kind of mm-hmm. took a core that was pretty good. He reduced it to nothing and then he's built a core that's pretty good, but he still can't seem to find the proper way to build a roster. So uh, yeah, the the nine years continues. Hopefully it's not much longer than nine years. But, uh, you know, with Jeff Molson's little thing going on with Bergevin, I don't.
0: Frankly, I would be surprised if he was fired right now at any point mm-hmm. soon, but we can always hope. Mark Bergevin actually is the seventh longest tenure GM in the NHL after David Poyle, Doug Wilson, Bob Murray, Stan Bowman, Doug Armstrong, Kevin Uh Yeah, that, those are the six. And Mark Bergevin is number seven. And Yarmulke Kekalainen is number eight. Jim Neal and Brad Living round out the top 10. And Jim Benning's is number 11. Anyway, uh, and the other final thing before we do the trivia, uh, I... What I didn't want to mention it last week because it hadn't been fully confirmed yet, but now we can officially say uh, something remarkable has happened, which is that Taisei's fantasy team, called Jack Johnson, and my fantasy team, Cole Caulfield's Stuffed Animals, are meeting in the finals of our 12-team league. It's a two-week final. Uh, so that's halfway done at this point. Uh, after a very poor start to the week on my end, I am currently beating Taisei by a score of 224.95 to 208.4. And this is also uh, very interesting because in our 12-team le- league in the regular season, Taisei finished third and I finished fifth. Uh, so some of both of us, but especially me, uh, I-, I, w- I think of myself as being kind of a Cinderella story of this playoff. I beat the, <laughs> the, f- the fourth seed, then I beat the number one seed in the semifinal And now I'm the underdog once again against you. And uh, I'm currently in the lead.
1: All right. We'll see how it holds up. Uh, By the time next episode rolls around, it'll be the day after the fantasy season has concluded. Uh, Right now, there's only one game going on. Tampa Bay, Detroit. Shout out to Blake Coleman, who I just picked up last night. Uh, Thanks to your advice. And... uh, yeah, yeah, he's out here man, scoring a goal. I'm,
0: kick, I'm kicking myself for that one because we have a maximum of four claims per week, and I'd already used up my four claims, and Taisei still had uh, at least one, I think. Uh, so I asked him, like, are you picking anyone up for tomorrow? And he said, oh, thanks for reminding me. Maybe I should. Uh, so Blake Coleman, if you do anything of significance today, I'm going to be very upset. Uh, please, not even a shot on goal from you would be nice. Uh, well, so He's already scored a goal. He,
1: wait, he already scored talking? a goal. He has four shots on goals and one goal. What a legend! No. Oh. Six points already, banking it, banking wow. it. Anyways, I can't. Believe. All right,
0: I can't believe. And you, so you like, you wouldn't have picked him up if I didn't ask if you were picking no. him
1: up. the plan was not to pick anybody up. I was gonna let the uh, the one claim go by. But anyways, and I was like, oh, yeah, who wow. can I pick up? Let's pick up someone to on the lightning. All right. So uh, thanks to you, I'll take those six free points. Ouch. Okay, drop Josh Anderson, by the way. If you want him, you can pick yeah, him. Yeah, you did. Who, uh, By the way, I I
0: was, I, that he was about to score an empty net goal the other day. And I was like, no, nah. jo- don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it. And he didn't touch it. He let Toffoli have the goal. And I was like, yes.
1: What can I say? What can I say? He's a class act. And we love he's, that on the fantasy, you know?
0: We love yeah, gentlemen. You love when he conduct. just could have easily got, given you four extra points, but just didn't instead.
1: Yeah, All exactly. Right?
0: You know, what a class act. All right. Okay. On to our trivia. Unless we have anything. I don't think we have anything
1: else to add. Let's do the trivia. This week, in honor of our lord and savior, Cole Caulfield, we have ourselves and his accomplishment this week. We have a quiz about Habs scoring their first NHL career goals. All right. So I have a list of 10 players. Who's all of them. So listen to this criteria. All right. They all scored their first goal with the Habs. They're either... A, still with the Habs. Or B, spent at least six years with the team and played within the last three years. All right? All right. Um. So so it's not this bumfuck nobody that I'm giving you the first goal for. You know, I didn't want to make it too impossible. All right. right. right, right. So what I give you, you have to identify the player who I'm talking about. And what I will give you is the date that the first goal happened, the goalie, their current the goalie who was uh, involved in the play who gave up the goal the current yep. goal total their the player's current goal total and the player's current number of games that they've played
0: all right all right okay okay this sounds good
1: seems seems pretty straightforward all right yep. so remember the criteria for these players are either a still with the Habs or b spent 6 plus years with the team and played with for the uh, played for the Habs in the last three years. Okay.
0: All right. So All right. in the last three years, like, so, like the 2018-19 season. Oh shit! Five years. Five years.
1: Five years. My mistake.
0: Oh, five years. Okay. I okay. see. Five years. Okay. So, so, like, so the next season, nineteen twenty eighteen nineteen seventeen eighteen or sixteen seventeen. It would have had to play in it, one of those seasons. Exactly. Got it. Yes. All
1: right. Okay. So here we go. All right, first player. Eight, the date was April 6th, 2019. Goalie was Freddie Anderson. Current goal total, four. And they've played 28 games in the NHL.
0: All right, I think this is probably the, the biggest slam dunk out of all of them. You, you were talking about Ryan Paling.
1: Easy, easy. What well, an absolute legend. Scored th- three-quarters of his career goal total that one game. All right. So that's an easy oh, actually, we didn't
0: set a threshold. Oh yeah, we didn't set a threshold. But actually, about apparently, I was gonna say I was actually at the Bell Center for the only goal of his career that was not in that game. It was against Calgary on January 13th, 2020, in a 2 0 win. But anyway, let's set the threshold. Wonderful. Everything seven.
1: I have ten, so yeah, seven. Seven's good.
0: All right, here we go.
1: Okay. Next one. October 18th, 2019. Goalie was Alex Stalock currently at 25 goals, 121 games.
0: Okay. Oh, all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. I'm, I'm pretty sure the answer here is Nick Suzuki.
1: Yes. Very nice. Two for two. All right. Next one. Also, October 18th, 2019, goalie, still
0: Alex Stalock currently at 5 goals, 194 games played. Victor Mete. I remember when you said stay lock, I was thinking, oh, is this Mete? And then I was like, 25 goals. And I remember that Mete and Suzuki both scored their first career goals in the same game. So this one is Victor Mete. All right. Good going. Okay. Next,
1: we have October 15th, 2016. Craig Anderson, currently at 59 goals,
0: 332 games played. Huh. 2016... What what rookies did they have that year? Um wait, how many total goals do they have now? 59. 59. Uh 26 I'm pretty sure that's the year Arturi Lekanen made his debut and I can't think of any other prominent rookies they would have had. So I'm going to go with Arturi Lekonen. All right.
1: Rolling. 4
0: for 4. Maybe I should have made it easier. Maybe I should have made it harder. Maybe I should have thrown in a
1: scrub. Like <laughs> mm. Anyways, alright. Moving on. Who will we do? Hmm. Okay. January twenty-seventh, twenty thirteen. Goalie was Martin Brodeur. Uh
0: 187 goals with 582 games played. This one's very fun because I was at this game. Uh it was the fourth wow. game of the lockout okay. shortened season, and it was Brennan Gallagher. Scored his first career NHL goal. You're like, Brendan Gallagher, first goal. His rookie season and like, I think his third game of the year because he was healthy scratched in the first game for some reason. On a line with Alex Galchenyuk and Brendan Prust. So that, that one's Brendan Gallagher. Okay. Damn,
1: I really should have made this quiz hard.
0: <laughs> How was I supposed to know you were at the Brendan Gallagher first goal
1: game? All Ah, right. Uh, five for five. God damn it. All right. <laughs> Next we have February 10th. 2010, uh 2020. Anti Ranta. Four goals. 54 games played.
0: February 10th, 2020. Who would have been making like a debut at that point? Uh, in the middle of last season, they ended up ending I was like, huh. This is the first one that's giving me a challenge now. Cause I'm I'm kind of drawing blanks here. Um hmm. Alright, I'm, I'm pretty sure Alex Belziel didn't play any games, so I don't think it's him. Um, first career goals, let's see. Well, Romanov wasn't here yet. Are there any other, like, young defensemen who might have... Oh, huh. Kale Flurry. I feel like, had one goal last year. I feel like it was earlier in the season, though. I think it was, like, in December or November or something, so I don't think it's Kale Fleury. Um, what forwards... All right, well, not Suzuki, we know. Uh, Not Kakanyemi, of course, because that was, like, his his third season, second season. Um, Not Caulfield, because he just made his debut this week. Uh, Not Paling, obviously. Um, What other youngins did they have bouncing around last year? Uh, All right, let me think of the the current roster. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Ooh, Evans. Huh. Yeah, I, I feel like that's the best I can come up with i'm gonna go with jake evans
1: that's right process of hey. elimination it's jake evans yep february 10th 2020 i didn't know it was that recent but yeah he's only played last year was his rookie season i completely forgot yep. feels like a million years ago <laughs> okay all right next up we have november 1st 2018 we have Braden holt in net and the person has 22 goals 165 games played.
0: All right. I'm pretty sure this one is Jesperi Kanyemi. Yeah. freaking heck. You've already beat the game. (laughs) Very nice. Look at me go. Uh, 7-7. Yeah, this quiz, I feel like it is easy to just like think through by process of elimination. Like, all right, who's making their debut around this time? And you can usually get it by that way. That's true. All right.
1: Next up, we have October 15th, 2005. Goalie was Ed Belfour, and we have two hundred and thirty three goals for this player in a thousand and one games.
0: Ooh, all right. So this is a player you said who who uh, scored their first goal with the Habs and has played for them within the past. Oh, is it Thomas Placanitz?
1: It is Thomas Placanitz. Very nice. And all right. Um. Next up, January twenty second, twenty thirteen. Scott Clemenson in net, uh, currently at 130. I think nine. I wrote 39 goals and 578 games.
0: I remember who scored their first NHL goal against the Florida Panthers in their second NHL game after being drafted third overall, and it's Alex Galchenyuk, and he like jumped into the boards in a celebration.
1: Ah, <sighs> okay, yeah, all right. Let's see if I can trip you up with the last one. All right, let's January second. Two thousand and nine. Also, fucking Scott Clemenson in that. Four years prior, Um, I thought that was hilarious. Um, Three hundred. I
0: think. I think yeah, three hundred and four goals, eight hundred eleven games. All right, I'm thinking either like Subban or Patch are ready for this one. Uh, Oh, it can't be Subban though, because he I was actually traded. More than that five-year cutoff you gave me. His last season was 15-16. So I'm going to go with Max Pacioretty.
1: Yeah, it's Max Pacioretty. God damn it. All right. 10 for 10. Wow. Perfect score. Right. Great. Under, under as... Was that? Is that a record? Has that ever happened in one of these quizzes? Like a perfect score? I don't think so. I think this might be uh this might be it. Wow. I've great right. history. We have a record here. Yep. Um, our first, very first perfect score in the quiz. Congratulations, Alex. On, uh, Thank you. Yeah. Very nice. Okay. Thank All right. So uh, I know to ramp up the difficulty for the next month, uh, we'll be Uh-oh. cranking out something much more, uh, much harder. Uh, hmm. And yeah. So unless you have anything else to add, I think that wraps it up for this week.
0: Yeah, well, I have to come up with a quiz for next week, and I'm thinking of maybe making it incredibly easy uh, just to, you know, reciprocate the kindness that you've shown me here today. Uh, Thank you. But we'll see. Oh, uh-oh. My screen just went to sleep again. Did we lose the recording? Oh, no. Is it still going? Oh, yeah. We're still going. Okay, wonderful. All right, okay. Thank yeah. you very much for listening to this week's episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. We'll be back next week, May 9th, and by that point, we'll hopefully know that Cole Caulfield's Stuffed Animals the champion of, of Brendan Gal Leaguer, which is the name of our league. You can follow this podcast on Instagram. Did not whoop, almost messed up. You can follow this podcast on Instagram <laughs> at Fusion and Hockey Podcast, and you can follow us on Twitter. Our handles are in the description, and you can tell everyone you know about this podcast. <laughs>